But I want to get right into the word this morning. And we're, we're kind of looking at a, a, at a, a, a parallel contemporary text to, to the book of Ezra, to the book of Nehemiah that we are reading through in our scripture plan. And, and I'm looking at the book of Haggai. And, and uh, man, God spoke to me about four years specifically about this book. But over this past week or two, it's just God has been just messing me up. Come on, how many of y'all ever read the Bible and it's just like you read it and it's like, oh, okay, now I'm messed up. It's like, you know, the, I, I love what, uh, I don't remember if it was Adrian Rogers or one of these great preachers and orators, he said that the power of the Bible, the Bible is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. You know, and that's really what was happening, what's been happening with me in the book of Haggai. So I want to get right into that this morning. And I want to read out of the book of Haggai chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. But could we stand? I know we've been standing for a minute, but I want to stand just in reverence for the Word of God. And, and in fact, in, in Ezra, as we read this, this week and last week, when, when Ezra began to read the Word of God, they stood together and they heard. And then they began to weep and be undone by the Word, by the power of, of God's truth. So, so this morning, we're going to stand in reverence. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. And it says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with with it. Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Let now, uh, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I could covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lord, let it be light to our eyes, Lord, and light to our path in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Come on, I want to talk about the power of the past this morning. I, I, the, 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 the title that I had before I started preaching was Remember Your Past, but I think I'm going to change it and just kind of manipulate that. I'm the, I can change the title to whatever I want it to be. I wrote the sermon, right? And, and I think I'm going to call it The Power of the Past because it's more fitting to what's happening right now because, because as we remember from last week, the, the, the book, the, the, the Israelites came into 
back into Jerusalem and they began to build the temple once again. And they got discouraged because things got hard and they quit building it for 15 years. And then that's when Haggai and Zechariah, they began to prophesy to the people. And I believe that they are, they are saying that they, we need to remember the past. Remember what God has done. We need to remember the glory of the latter temple, the old temple, because what he's fixing to do is greater. Well, how many of y'all believe that? Man, I, I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm going to have to get fired up, I guess, Doc, because I feel like we're kind of a little sleepy this morning. And I got a message, and you're going to have to get it, because it's powerful. I mean, it's, it's life-changing, honestly. It's something that when we grab hold of as this generation, it will change the trajectory of every generation that comes after us. We need to remember the past. There's power in the past. I want to start with just a, a story this morning. And, and something significant happened on May the 6th, 1954. How many of y'all remember that day? Me neither. I don't remember but something powerful happened. There was this man, his name was Roger Bannister. Have y'all ever heard that name? Anybody heard of Roger Bannister? And this is what Roger Bannister did. He completed a mile in under four minutes. He completed a mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds, right? And, and they called this the miracle mile. This is something that had never happened in human history ever before. I mean, it was like, it changed everything for running, you know? In fact, most experts said that it was impossible for a human being to run a mile in under four minutes. The experts said it was impossible. It couldn't happen. It was totally not capable, not possible. Physiologically, humans couldn't run that fast. But they said if it ever did happen, it would have to be with perfect conditions. Like everything would have to be lined up. The weather would have to be perfect. Like, and they're talking like 68 degrees, uh, you know, no wind, a perfectly dry clay track, and there'd have to be a huge crowd cheering this person on so that way, man, they would run, you know, on the cheers of that crowd, you know. I mean, that's kind of how we view Christian ministry. We're like, man, if only everything was perfect and lined up, we would make it happen. But May 6, 1954, the conditions weren't perfect. It was freezing cold because they were in England. Freezing cold. It had just got done raining, so the track was wet, and there was like hardly anybody there because it rained that day. And it was in those conditions, the thing that people said was absolutely impossible and couldn't happen, Roger Bannister did it. He ran a four-minute or below mile. And what's interesting about this story is that just within two months, another guy from Australia, he broke that, that record. He ran a mile in three minutes and 58 seconds, you know, and then just less than a year later, three people ran a four-minute or better mile in the same race. And now, if you watch the Olympics or if you see professional runners run, it's very common. In fact, you can't even compete on the world stage unless you can run a mile in, in like way less than four minutes. In fact, the current record is three minutes and 43 seconds. I, I mean, just that's pretty fast. I don't even know if I can ride my bike a mile in three minutes and 43 seconds. But, but since that time, since 1954, over 1,600 people have run the mile in under four minutes. In 68 years, the previous hundreds and hundred thousands of years, now maybe just because they weren't trying, but, but it's like since one man broke the barrier and shared his story, it just became commonplace for people to run four-minute miles. 
And I want to talk to you a little bit today about the power of the past, remembering the past. And I want to look at the book of Haggai, and I just want to talk about that this morning. It says here that, that uh, it was just to give a little context, Cyrus gave an order. The people went and they began to, to build the temple. He said, go and build the temple. They went and it got challenging. It got difficult. Fifteen years later, they still haven't completed the job. Haggai prophesies. He says, consider your ways. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the people of God. Man, how many times as the church, as the people of God, do we blame everyone else for our own problems? Yet we sit in disobedience. You know, it's like we, God says to, to, to pray, and we don't pray. He says to repent. We don't repent. We, he says to be humble. We're not humble. I mean, the church is one of the most prideful places I know. It's like we think that we got it all together, and we don't. But we're supposed to be an example to the world. Haggai is saying to the people of God, consider your ways. He said, because, because judgment comes first to the house of the Lord. So he's talking to the people. Then the people are still, they're, they're like, man, we don't know what to do. We don't even know what you're expecting. We don't know what to do. So Haggai, in Haggai 2, 3, he reads this. He says this. He doesn't read it. He declares this. He says, so who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? And I want to, man, I, I used to have a certain perspective on this verse because I was, I, I, I was wrong. I'll just say that. The, the way I viewed this scripture was wrong. I was always like, man, you got all these people who saw all these past revivals and they saw God do great things, but don't you know God's doing a new thing? And them old people need to be quiet because they're discouraging the young people and all this. That was just my perspective. I'm not perfect. But God's been wrecking me this week. Uh, and he's been just showing me and revealing to me that there's power in the past. There's power in what God has done. And we see here in Haggai, he's saying, who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? Why would he ask that? Because a lot of time had passed. I mean, actually, about 70 years since the destruction of Solomon's temple and, and, and when God commissioned to build this new temple. I mean, I want you to think about that, that. We talked about this a little last week. 70 years is a little bit of time, right? Most of the people who were alive building the temple had never seen the old temple. They didn't, they, Facebook wasn't around yet. Well, Twitter and Instagram, and I mean, it, this was even before they had to take pictures and take the film out and go down to the Polaroid place and have it developed. They didn't have anything. Maybe they had like a stone rendering of what the temple looked like. But they didn't have pictures. They didn't have videos. All they had at that time was testimonies and stories. It was a very stories-driven community. And God was commissioning these people. He says, go and rebuild the temple for me. And, and, and they're building it. They're like, God, we don't even know what this is supposed to look like. We don't even know what we're supposed to be doing. And Haggai's saying, where are all the people who saw the old temple in all of its glory? Who remembers what was done in the past? Who remembers its size, its scale, its beauty? Who remembers the riches, the songs? Who remembers seeing the, the, the revival services? Who remembers seeing the majesty of what the temple used to look like? Because it was powerful, they, and they didn't have any context. And I believe that today, God is saying, who is left among you? You see, I, I believe that we live in a very 
progressive society. You know, as Jason was alluding to, we, we don't even know what the definition between a man and a woman is. What's the difference? We don't know who's supposed to be married, who's not supposed to be married. We don't know when, when life begins. We, ha- we are so confused, but yet it's so simple. God says it. It's in his word. It's very clear. But we live in this progressive society. It's a cancel culture society. I mean, we literally live in a society today that wants to erase the past because they know if they can erase the past, they can erase the power. You know, there's this, because God has moved on this earth before. It's not like we're waiting for a new move of God because it's never happened. It's happened before. God has done miraculous things. We live in a culture that wants to redefine the past. We're literally rewriting the history books because the culture knows if it can if it can erase the past, come on, it can, it can erase our future. I mean, it's time for the church to wake up. It's time for the church to look back on what God had used to done. Where are all the people who have seen God move before? Where are all the, this is what Haggai's saying, who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? I think it's important that we don't forget what God has done. See, I believe that there's people in this room today who've seen God move in supernatural ways. Well, there's people in this room today that have seen God supernaturally heal their body, that have seen God supernaturally bring deliverance into their family. There's people here today that have seen revival meetings and seen God move and seen the glory of God fill the house. There's people in this room who saw what God did at Brownsville or Toronto or Argentina. Come on, there's, there's people in this room who've read books about the great moves of God in the past. I mean, God is not dead. God is still working. He's still active. He's still moving, and he's time for us to start building the house of God again. I mean, this is something that's important, and you know what? We don't need to ignore what the older generation is saying. We need to pay attention to what they're saying. I want to see an Azusa-like move of God. I want to see a Brownsville-like move of God. I want to see, a, a, I want to see the, the tent revivals and the healing ministries. There were tent revivals so powerful that the ambulance was actually stopped by the tent revival before they go to the hospital because there was more healing taking place in the revivals than there was in the hospitals. And they had a minister named Jack Coe. He got in trouble one time because he was, he literally got charged in Florida for practicing medicine without a license. He was healing people through the power of prayer and the Holy Ghost. God is still the healer today. And it's like today the church has forgotten who God is. And we've simply relegated the Holy Ghost to a, some kind of small group ministry. Well, the Holy Ghost isn't just for the back room or the side room or the bedroom, or for the closet. The Holy Ghost is alive and active, and he should be front and center every service that we have. God is amazing. And, And we need to be reminded of that, of what God can do. We shouldn't be ashamed of what God did. We should be reminding from one generation to the next generation. I'll never forget when I took over as the pastor of this church four years ago. I was walking behind the sound booth, and God, he just spoke to me. He said, Joe, this is a traditional church. And I'm like, God, we'll talk about that later. I'm pastoring right now, you know, a little busy. He said, no, you're going to stop and listen. So I sat right there 
by the sound booth that first Sunday, my message was ready. I was called Just Breathe. I remember the day, but it was like God said, Joe, not man's traditions, but my traditions. And he took me back to the day of Pentecost, and he started showing me revival meetings and people being filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost. He began to show me miracles and signs and wonders. And he saw a, I saw a church that was on fire. He said, Joe, pursue that. Be my traditional church on this earth. Don't conform into what the image of, of the church is today, but be what I wanted it to be. Connect to the power of the past. See, I believe in Haggai, he's saying, he's saying to this generation who doesn't know what to do, they don't know what to build, they don't know what it's supposed to look like. He, he, so Haggai's like, where's all of the people who saw it before? Y'all come talk and breathe life into this younger generation. You may not be able to pick up the stones, but man, you can sure pick up and move some hearts. I want to just share just a story because I, I just want to stir up our faith. I was, I was talking to a family in the church, and, and, and I, I, this is just a, God is a healer. God, I cannot say that enough. Whatever, whatever you're going through, God is a miracle worker. We need not forget that. I mean, I love church structure, church organization. I love small groups. I love computer programs. I love giving apps. I love all that kind of stuff. I love worship teams. I love that. But all of that is simply to usher in the presence of the living God. I had a family in the church, and mom called me. said her adult son was trying to kill himself with, with alcohol. He was, the only thing he did was drink vodka. He wouldn't drink water. He wouldn't eat food. All he did was drink vodka for days and days and days. And, and he was adult. He'd been in and out of rehab, in and out of rehab. And, and at this point, she called me. She said, Pastor Joe, this is it. They, he was walking to the store to get some more vodka. They found him on the side of the road, rushed him to the hospital, and they don't know if he's going to make it. So I was like, okay. I, I went to the hospital, and, and by this time, they had done their evaluation. They said, his, his liver is shot, his kidneys are gone, and you know, we've given him two weeks to live. Pastor Desmond was, he was his chaplain for hospice. I mean, this is verified, confirmable. You remember that. It's like, listen, he's not a candidate for a transplant because, quite frankly, he has these tendencies that we don't want to waste a, a good liver. And so I went into the hospital and in the hospital room, and they were fixing to do a scan on him. And, I mean, I just knelt over, and I just talked to him. I said, listen, man, this is it. Like, I mean... We're believing God's a miracle worker, but you need to know. Like, I don't have time to mince words here. Are you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? He's like, I don't know. I was like, no, you need to, like, that's going to happen right now. We're going to pray. You're going to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He grabbed my hand. He leans up. And he's, we begin to pray together. I'm like, man, I don't know if God's going to heal you. He can, but I know where your eternity is. Man, that was six months ago. God sent him home. I mean, God. The doctor sent him home two weeks to live. They sent him to hospice care, and hospice care just said, no, he ain't going to make it. You need to send him home. He's gone. It's over. Six months ago. A few months ago, he God had begun to just do some restorative work to his kidneys, to his liver, and they, they're like, well, you know, maybe because you're changing your life, he began, became eligible for a kidney, tra kidney transplant. That in and of itself is a miracle. Friday, the doctor called, said, you're no longer eligible for a kidney transplant because you don't, or liver transplant, because you don't need one. Your, your kidney, has, your liver has been restored. The doctors are like, what in the world is happening here? How does this 
work. And I mean, I had some pictures I could show you before and afters. I'm like, God is the healer. God is the restorer. I mean, he is, I mean, it's amazing. It's a miracle. God still is moving and active. And, and I believe that, that today, this is like one of my points, is that there's an entire generation, there's entire generations, in fact, who have not seen what God can do. I mean, there's entire generations who have not seen the glory and the power of God. I mean, even the idea of going to church, I don't want to go to boring church. Man, churches need to repent for being boring. The church should be the place where the power of God lives and operates. The altar should be full. Lives should be transformed. I was healed. I was delivered from alcoholism at a church service. Come on. I want to see baptisms. I want to see baptisms in the Holy Ghost. The church should be the most dynamic, exciting place on the planet. I mean, not just because there's fog machines and lights. I'm not against that stuff, but I'm saying we don't need to manufacture excitement. What we need to do is get on our knees and expect the move of God in our communities. But there's entire generations. This generation in Book of Haggai, they're, they're coming out of 70 years of captivity. The, most of these people had never even been to Jerusalem. I, I need you just to think about that for a minute. God is taking some people who've never been to Jerusalem. They've never seen a move of God. It would be like taking somebody who's straight off of the street. We're just going to go to Southside High School, grab a couple of random kids, and we're going to say, hey, let's go plant a church. They have no idea what that's supposed to look like. That may be a good thing. It could be. But, but he's like, they don't know. They just don't know. These people are in captivity. They're Babylon, the Babylonian king, he had brought them out and brought them to spread them out all over the world. And then King Cyrus, the king of Persia, says, go and build a temple for God. Seventy years, these people had never seen what it was supposed to look like. They came out of captivity and they were asked to build something that seemed impossible to them. They're like, this isn't even possible that we can do that. It's like they don't even understand the scale, the scope, or what this is supposed to be. Maybe they have some words in a book, but they don't know what they're, well, they haven't seen with their eyes. But I believe today we live in that world. We live in a world where the church has forgotten what it means to operate and live under the power and influence of the Holy Ghost, that we forgot what it looks like to be the church. And God is saying today, where are those who are left among you, who saw the temple, who saw the move of God in its former glory. Where are those saints that have seen God move? I can preach until I'm blue in the face. I can tell you the Roman roads. John, I can give you every type of way to tell you that Jesus saves. I can, tell, I can come back in Scripture and give you a complete understanding of healing and, and, and the atonement of the cross. But one testimony from someone who's experienced it before, can change a life. There's power in testimony. There's power in testimony. In fact, I believe that our testimonies are the very building blocks of our faith. Testimonies are the building blocks of our faith. I, I mean, the church can't progress unless we understand the power of our past. We cannot move forward until we understand the power of our past. And listen, the enemy, this is what he wants to do. He wants to erase the past. He wants to discredit moves of God. He wants to discredit. I mean, I, listen, I was last year or year before, there was a, a, a teacher at Southside. She was teaching English. So she's doing some due diligence, and she's trying to get some American literary works and things like that. And 
So they begin to study, uh, mine went blank, the, uh, the, the, the sermon called uh, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Sophomore year. Who, who wrote that? Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God? Somebody help. Any Bible scholars? Jonathan Edwards. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I knew somebody would know. So she's like, hey, I mean, now this, this message revolutionized the church. I mean, it began the, the first great awakening. This was a powerful sermon. And she began to attribute that sermon to the Salem witch trials and began to say that this sermon is what led to the, to the death of so many witches and, and, and people like that and just all this torture and this and that. But then, I mean, like, interestingly enough, that sermon was written 50 years after the Salem witch trials. But the, just know this, the enemy is doing everything that he can to discredit the testimony of Jesus Christ on the earth. He's trying to discredit a move of God. He's trying to discredit the miraculous. There's the entire moves, even within the church, that says that the gifts of the Spirit, healing, baptism in the Holy Ghost, that, that prophecy, all this stuff went away with the last of the apostles or with the canonization of Scripture. That is a lie from the devil. I reject it. Hands down, I've seen God do too much. I've seen God do too much. It, it, it's time for the church to wake up. Who are those among us who remembers the temple? Who is those among, among us? And, and I want to talk just a few minutes about faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we all know this verse of Scripture. It says, but it says uh, now, fa now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You see, the... The people of Israel, they were having a not seen problem. You see, God had asked them to do something that they had never seen done before. He was asking them to do something that seemed impossible to them, right? And just because it doesn't, you've never seen it doesn't mean it's never happened. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not possible. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it don't matter. In fact, I was thinking about this just this morning, and I was thinking about moving a plant that I have in the house and moving it out, out, outside the house. I haven't talked to Shannon about this yet. But, but I was like, you know, if we're going to transplant a plant, you can't just go walk up to the plant and cut it off at ground level then just go stick it in the ground, right? It's going to die, right? Because that plant has roots, and these roots, although you can't see them, they matter. It's these very roots that sustain the life and the visibility of the plant. It's the roots that bring nourishment to the fruit. You see, and in the Christian church, it's like we want to go plant a church. So we just go over there and we just, we just cut off what we think we can see. And we go try to plant it somewhere else. It ain't going to work. You've got to take the very things that, that establish that church and bring it with you and plant it somewhere else. Friends, we can't move forward without an understanding of what God has done in the past. You can't just leave behind the heart of what God is doing. It's a move. That's the movement that matters. It's... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know how I know there are roots in the ground? Because I see the plant. I don't have to go up to a tree and dig around and see if there's roots under there. No. The very existence of the tree, the very existence of fruit, is evidence that there are roots. Faith is simply this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is conviction of truth, right? Faith says, even if I haven't seen it myself, I know it can be done because it's happened before. This is an important concept. This is something we need to grab hold of. If God's done it once, he can do it again. 
this is faith. I mean, could you imagine if I said, hey, we're going to go, we're going to run track, all of you mile runners, listen, don't even try to run a, a four-minute mile. It's totally impossible. Just because I've never seen it happen, I've never seen a four-minute mile, it can't happen. I've never ran a four-minute mile myself, so undoubtedly, totally impossible. You would think I was crazy. But there are people who literally will say, man, God can't heal now. Well, he's healed me. What are you talking about? Just because you haven't seen it, just because you haven't done it, doesn't mean it's not possible. And God is saying right now that we need to begin to stir up faith. Faith is the, is the evidence of things hoped for, right? It's the evidence of things not seen just because we haven't seen it. We need to believe by faith. I, I want to just kind of go into the book of Hebrews just for a moment. Hebrews 11, and I want to just talk about this. Hebrews 11 is kind of like the, the, the hall of faith, if you will. And, and it's, it's a powerful thing because I, I believe that when we read this, we need to read it with the understanding if God can do it once he can do it again. This is what faith is. If God can heal a young man and restore his, his liver, you know what God can do? He can restore your liver. He can restore your kidneys. He can heal cancer. He can heal diabetes. God is the healer. He can heal Crohn's disease. He can heal diverticulitis. God can restore sight to the blinds. God can do the impossible. And the church needs to understand that. That's the faith that we're trying to build. In Mark chapter 16, it says this is the evidence of the things that follow those who believe. That they will lay hands on the sick that they, and they shall recover. That they will cast out demons. If we're not seeing this, we're not doing it right. We're not building the right body of Christ. If you just need an encouraging message, go to TED Talk. It's great. Watch all that. And then come to church if you want a life-changing message. If you want to begin to surrender your life to the faith of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God. I mean, by faith, he offered to God. See, we can make acceptable offerings to God. Don't think that you're disqualified. Don't think that you've gone too far. Don't think that you're not good enough. If Abel can make acceptable offerings, you can make an acceptable offering. It says, by faith, Enoch, he, he did not see death. He walked with God. Come on, we can know that by faith, if Enoch walked with God, that we know we walk with God in eternity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. These, these things aren't just being told so that it can tickle our ears. It's told so that we can walk in the power of the past. Noah says that Noah, his whole household was saved. Friends, if Noah's whole household was saved, your whole household shall be saved. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop interceding. God is going to move. If he did it once, he can do it again. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Well, Abraham, it says that he believed and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Well, if it, God can do it for Abraham, he can do it for you. Begin to stir up your faith. Begin to understand that if God did it before, he could do it again. There's power in our past. By faith, Sarah bore a, chill, a child. Come on, I believe that by faith, even if you have kids or you don't have kids, you can leave a godly legacy on this earth. By faith, Abraham blessed his children. Come on, friends, you didn't have to live a perfect life. You don't have to have it all together. You can just know if God can do it for Abraham, who was, who was messed up and who was a sinner and who didn't get it right, he can do it for you. You can pass on a blessing to those who come after you. God is not finished with you yet. By faith, Moses led God's people out of captivity. Come on, I believe that by faith, the church can begin to lead a community out of captivity. 
But we, if God can do it once, he can do it again. If God can do it once, he can do it again. If he can do it with Moses, he can do it with us. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. I believe that by faith we'll see the bondage of sin and darkness be broken off of other people's lives. Well, this is the testimony of the church. It says that by faith the apostles and early believers endured hardship because they lived by faith. I believe that those testimonies are for us. We can walk through every trial, through every tribulation. We can, we can keep our testimony. We don't have to be destroyed by the things of this world. By faith, we can walk it out. We can do it by faith. But all of these things seem impossible if we didn't know that it's happened before. If God can do it once, he can do it again. Some of you may say that this is just some Old Testament examples. Joe, this is Old Testament, you know, I mean, this is the book of Hebrews. They're writing to the people. They're just telling those Old Testament stories. You see, in reality, the writer of Hebrews was using these Old Testament examples to encourage the new church. He's saying God did it once. He can do it again. He's going to do it again. And he's even going to do it better. I believe that faith is not blind. Faith is hearing what God has done. And believing that he will do it again. Only better. I, I totally believe that, friends. I, I believe that, that faith is not blind. Some people say, man, you just got blind faith. It's not blind. I'm not blind in believing that God is a healer. I'm not blind in believing that God can do it. He's done it before. Faith is not blind. Faith is hearing. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, it says this. Romans 10, 14 and 17. How then shall... They call on him in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I, I believe that we live in a world that is falling apart, not because they are believing a lie, but because the church has failed to declare the truth. We can change that, but we need to change it now. I believe that God is doing something generationally within our church. It's powerful. He is binding generations together. There's a reason why we see Gen Z and all these generations falling apart. Why? Because we need to connect the past generation with the present generation. The old generation needs to encourage the new generation. They need to know that God is their healer and deliverer and savior. I believe that God is sending one generation to the next generation. From one generation to the next generation. This is how the blessing should work. So this is the real question. Who's going to answer the call? I mean, God didn't just do miraculous works in your life so that way you can live your best life. Come on, he did that so you can be a testimony to those who don't believe. Hebrews 12. Right after he writes all this, he says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Man, this, this past week, we lost a great 
general in the faith and, and Benny Johnson. And, and she, she was Bill Johnson's wife. He pastored at uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California. And uh, so I went online. I just was like, man, I just want to. I couldn't believe that Bill was going to be preaching. And he preached in just an incredible service. But he shared a story that I think is relatable for today. He told a story about a, a relay race. Can I have the about a relay race and man I used to it really it really connected with me because because when I was in high school I ran the four by one hundred meter relay and I ran the four by two hundred meter relay and I ran the four by four hundred meter relay. I was familiar with relay races and and I was the first leg of, of all three of those races. I don't know if it was because I was the slowest or if it's because I was the fastest or or what. I was just the first leg of all of those races. And it's and, and races it, relay races are really interesting because because I was the first leg and uh, Pastor Desmond, come on, man, you can help me with an example, right? So go stand over there. And we're not going to really run because you would totally outrun me. Face the other way. Face the other way. Yeah, back up a little bit. All right, jump on one foot. Okay, all right, here we go. I'm uh, no, just kidding. I, I would remember I would come in and I'd be running full on as fast as I could. And usually I was about the middle of the pack, you know, and I'd, I'd hand off right behind you, stick your hand out. I'd hand off that baton. And the next guy would start, would start running the race, you know. And it's not like I would just say, well, I'm done. And go back to the, back to the locker room and take a shower. That, that never happened. Actually, what would happen was as soon as he began to run, I would start cheering for him. And, and he would start running. Then he would hand it off. And, and by this time, I'm cutting straight across the field because I want to be there, at our whole team at the finish line, while that last guy was coming with the baton. Let me have that. Thank you, Desmond. Y'all give Desmond a round of applause. Because here's, here's the power of that, right? Here's the power of that. I was, I was cheering them on because my success or failure wasn't determined by how, what place I was in when I handed off the baton. My success or failure was dependent on where the last guy was when he crossed the finish line. Come on. Somebody better catch on to this. Come on, just because you've run your race doesn't mean that your race is, not, is, is over. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24, it illustrates this point. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, I used to think that that was us people running, running like against other people, right? But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying we're all running in the same race. 2,000 years ago, Jesus finished his race. He sent the Holy Ghost to the apostles. They ran their race, and they handed the baton, and they are encouraging from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Friends, we have a responsibility. Even though you've run your race, you've seen what God can do, now your job is to encourage this next generation that they may know the goodness of God. The race is not over. Young people, you don't have to start from scratch. This man, God, young people get this. You don't have to start from scratch. It's not like Jesus died yesterday. He wasn't raised again to new life three days ago. It was, it was 2,000 years ago. We get to build upon the works and the teachings and the, and, and, and the experiences of the apostles. And older people, your, your work is not done yet. Your race is not over. There's still work to be done. It's time for us to begin to cheer on this next generation. Quit complaining about them. 
and start teaching them and encouraging them and telling them about the goodness of God. Man, I was, I was in, the, in the Word and I was just sitting in my office in Matthew 5.41. I was reminded of Jesus' words. He says, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with them too. He says, just because you run with them for a while doesn't mean you're done when they start running. You need to continue with them. Go with them the second mile. Keep going. I believe that God is looking for people who are going to run this second mile, that are going to go beyond the expectations of the past, who are going to go further than their predecessors, who are going to see God do the impossible yet once again. I mean, I want to see revival begin to break out in our community. I want to see revival in our families. I want to see God begin to restore marriages. I want to see the bondage of alcoholism broken off of a nation. Friends, alcoholism is just legal drug addiction, okay? We need to get alcohol out of our families. We need to get cigarettes and all these things. They're destroying our bodies, destroying our lives. This is revival. God begins to change things. Haggai 6, 2-6. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more, it is a little while, he says, once more I will shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land and I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. He says, silver is mine and gold is mine, says the Lord. The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former. Come on, I believe that what God is going to do, what God was coming in the spirit is going to be better than what came before. We need to get, get this in our heart, church. What God wants to do is going to be better than what was seen before. And Haggai was reminding them. He's saying, listen, encourage them to build. Encourage them, show them. He says, but beware, because what they're going to do is greater than anything you've ever seen before. Now, Haggai wasn't specifically prophesying and talking about the temple. He wasn't talking about a physical temple built with the hands of men. Haggai was, Haggai was talking about something much more powerful, much more intimate, much more relatable. You see, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, But it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. Worship team, you can come on up. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You see, the, the temple that God is building right now is not a temple made with hands. It's not a building. He's building a spiritual temple made up of spiritual stones, living stones. The church, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? I believe that what God's going to do, what God's wanting to do in this generation is something that we've never seen before. He, he wants to bring revival. He wants to bring reality. He wants to bring truth of who he is. He wants, to, he wants to fill the world and make the world his temple. And it's not he's not talking about building a physical temple in Jerusalem. Well, he wants to put his spirit within every soul on earth.
within every human body on earth. Can he do it? Yeah. But he can't, we can't just pray God do it and sit on our hands and think that it's going to happen. Well, I believe that it's time for one generation to begin to pass the baton to the next generation. I almost feel like, like, like God is saying, like we need to actually do this, not just talk about it. That, that, there's, that there's people in this room who have seen revival. They've seen the goodness of God. They've seen, I mean, Monica and John, seen thousands of people give their heart to Jesus. There's people, Dr. Lynn, I mean, people saved and restored and healed from all kinds of issues and sicknesses. There's people here who were part of great revivals and seen God move supernaturally, miraculously. I've seen God restore my own life. And it's like it's time for, for us to say, no, it's time to pass the baton. And if we've already passed the baton, it's time to start cheering on this next generation. Like, show up to the youth events to encourage the young people. There's some practicality here. Get involved in young adults' ministry. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Go serve in our kids' ministry. Pray for, pray for those young people. Who will answer the call? Can we stand this morning? This isn't a call to build a new building. This isn't a call to build a new church. This isn't a call. This is a call for one generation to encourage the next generation. To take what God has done in you and pass that on to someone else. To be a blessing to others. So this is, this is what I want to do, actually. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing from one generation to the next. If, if you're 60 years old or older and been saved for you know, a few years at least, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come on to the front and I want you to turn and face everybody else. Everyone who's 60 years older and older, just come on to the front and turn around and face the others. Dr. Lynn, would you come? Doc? I'll tell you what, stay there. are the, the saints the ones who've seen the glory of God I know most everybody here and like they all have some amazing testimonies so this is what I want to do I just want I'm going to ask Dr. Lynn to come pray a blessing over the next generation if you're still in your seat you're the next generation and the people up here, their, their work's not done. They're just 
going to pray a blessing over you. So this is what I want you to do. Could you, all of you folks who are, who've been there, done that, seen the grace and glory of God, can you extend your hands out there? If you're, all of you other people, lift your hands in the air. If you want to receive that, and I'm going to ask Dr. Lynn just to pray and bless the house. can't add much to what pastors already preached. We've been saying and feeling for some time now that the role of our generation is to train up the next generation. Our generation has seen God do some awesome and mighty things. But I've been feeling for quite some time now, and I've shared this with Pastor, this next generation will see even more. Father, we love this next generation, Father. We thank you right now, Father God, that you're equipping each and every one of them to do battle on the front lines. Our generation is no longer on the front lines of the battle, but we can train up and equip new soldiers for you, Father. And we pray right now that this younger generation, Father. I, I, I am so impressed with them, Father. I prophesied to, to, to many of them last year. They have such great zeal. But as you know, Father God, zeal can come and zeal can go. But I prophesy to them that their zeal shall not leave them. And we stir up that word in them right now, Father, that their zeal for you shall not leave. It may change a little bit over the years as they grow and mature, and it, may, it will manifest in different ways, but the zeal shall not leave, Father God, in Jesus' name. And Father, for this generation that's standing up here now, we thank you for them, Father. We ask for continued blessings upon all of them, Father God. 
that the latter days shall be greater than the former, Father. The Word of God says that for the older generation, they shall continue to bear fruit in their old age. The Word of God, that's you, Father. We accept and receive your Word. That this generation, Father, shall continue to bear fruit for you through the younger generation, Father. We stir up this younger one, Father, the anointing that you've put on them, the zeal that you've put in their hearts for you, Father. We thank you now for great things that are coming. We thank you for revival, Father, through the younger generation. We praise you. We thank you for that now, Father God. We release it now by your spirit in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about you, Jesus. It's about you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, God. Can, can all of you who's up here, can y'all turn around and just face me just for a second. I'm 43 years old. So I think I'm kind of like square in the middle of whatever this generational gap looks like. But I just want to say that we need y'all. I want to just say it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to come. I just want to look every one of you in the eyes for a moment. Just want to look you in the eyes. And I want you to know that we need you. This generation needs your testimony. They need your passion. They, they need to see what you've seen. They need to know what you know. They need to have a heart for righteousness. They need to, they need to know the testimonies of, uh, and see what Billy Graham did, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that was present in, in revivals of past times. They need to know that God is still their healer, that God is their deliverer, that God can still use them, that God is not done with his supernatural work on this earth, and he wants to use you to accomplish that. We need you. We need you. We need your heart. We need your passion. We need your creativity. We need your anointing. You're not done yet. God still has a plan and purpose for you. I want to just pray for you. Can y'all just extend your hands? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father God. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of all of these saints, Lord God. I thank you that you have brought them here. Lord, that they are not forgotten. Lord God, they are not obsolete, but Lord, they are the power of our past, Lord. Lord, that all of these young people, let them not just see a silver-haired saint, but Lord, let them see someone who has walked through the valley. Let them see someone who has come out on the other side. Let them see someone who has experienced the goodness of God. Let them see someone as a, as a mentor, as someone to disciple them, as someone to invest in them. Lord, let them be a blessing to us. Lord, I believe there is power. I believe there's power in our heritage. Lord, to the best of my ability and the best of my ability to communicate this today, they represent 
our heritage. So encourage them and strengthen them, Lord. Let us run together. Lord, let each generation run together, Lord. Let us run together in agreement. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord some praise this morning? Here's just real quick. Here's, here's what I do. If, if, if y'all are willing to indulge me, we're going to just close. The worship team's going to play a song. But all of you who are here, if you're, if you're willing to indulge me, you don't have to. But if, if all of these who just want to come and get just a spiritual blessing on your life, come find one of these. If you want to stay, if you don't, I understand how life works so but if you want to just come and receive a blessing from one of these who've gone before then come on up and they're going to pray for you and bless you here this morning amen y'all be dismissed if 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 you need to go you can go if you want to come get prayed for come get prayed for amen y'all be blessed